I, um, I, I have plans to, um, to, to begin um, this morning, so I'm not just returning compliments. Uh, we are 10 years in, and about 10 years ago, we, we were sent from Rev, and we'd only been in Rev a few months, and Steph and I walked around Camden, went into Sainsbury's, I think, and Steph had a little ponder as to whether he was uh, wanting to jump in on this little Polish ship, and he decided that he would, and... Um, I just want to, uh, I never do this, probably won't do this again, but I just want to honour Steph, because um, before I thank you, the church, but, but Steph jumped in with us. I'm not an easy man, and I have, for most of those years, I've been a, not an easy guy, slightly orphan-hearted, quirky, twitchy kind of man, and Steph has just stayed in the boat, and it counts for everything, just, just sit tight in the boat, and, uh, and I just want to thank Steph for that, so if we can you. And uh, to you as a church, um, I want to thank you for just standing with us. We, we are a, a tiny little thing. We're up and down. We were hoping for some baptisms next weekend. And no, no, no. And it's the last baptism we have was years ago. And it's long, slow work. We're maybe 20, 20, 25, 25, 30. I think we almost hit 30 a few weeks ago. We meet in a little hotel conference room now. I went up and down, yeah, yeah, no, no, but don't hear that. Here, here, 12, here, 14. <laughs> it's a bit more where it is. And even within that, uh, we are, it, it's, it's just not solid. So um, I want to thank you as a church because you don't get much from us, uh, but you choose to bless us, to stand with us financially. And, um, and as a result, there is something in thanks which you would recognize as something of the fruit of Jesus and his gospel. So I want to thank you. Church, for your love and for your grace. Um, okay, we're on it. I want to speak this morning about uh, joy completed. It's a bit like a, a Catholic priest trying to speak to you about marriage. He sees it in the Bible. He's, he knows it's right, but he has never experienced a relationship with a woman. And I, I, I want to, it's a subject, if people know me well, uh, I am the guy, you know, who just sort of just... Like that, and it has nothing about my family. My 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 wife is amazing. Got nothing to do with those who are precious and close to me. It's just me, and I I, I um I, I've been on a little journey the last few months about this whole subject of joy, and um I, I stumbled across uh, oh 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 <laughs> this is going to be, I might have to be running up and down every time I click. I could, I could get so fit. I've got about 50 slides. <laughs> I'm going to lose 15 kilos here tonight. Oh, yeah. And uh, I stumbled across this, um, this verse uh, uh, in my Bible. And I felt like somebody had broken into my house and, and written it in. I sat there and um, I came across it. Because I, I preached John 15, and we'll come into that a little bit later on today, so many times. But I have never, ever paid attention to what Jesus, and Jesus says this. He says this to his disciples. In the final week, we heard a little bit about from a scripture today about what the disciples must have felt as Jesus is is, is being forced to to drink that, watching their saviour hang and die and what that meant for them. And in the final week, Jesus is giving them his best. And, And I've spoken so often about the 
the, the vine and the branches and bearing fruit and, you know, biting must abide and it all comes from him. Understanding these things, never, ever, ever paid attention to why Jesus tells me that. It's so that I might be a very happy man. And it's come as a something. So I've been on a little journey and a bit of a Bible study. So I'm going to just sort of take you on that, if that's all right. I'm, uh, I'm just sort of, use my clicker. And um, so from the beginning, uh, so I've sort of flicked back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created uh, in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them and God blessed them and said, I have given you. And so in the very beginning, there was utter dependency, a complete absence of anxiety. There was no enduring. There was no pressing on, persevering, hanging tough. It was just God and his creation. He made trees that were appealing to the eye. Oh, it matters that they like what they see. That's all it was. And there was this wonderful friendship with God, fully, man fully dependent upon him. That's how it began. And, um, and then, you know, it all goes wrong. It goes a bit wonky. And, and even that, a beautiful verse in Genesis 3 where it just describes how God just bent and hands and put together something to cover them as they leave. That's one of my favorite moments in the Bible where God, no, it's not, it's not go. It's, oh, come, come. And just covers them. Just, it's such a painful moment. But it begins with a complete absence of anxiety, a complete absence of enduring. It begins only with the presence of God and the fullness of his provision. Um, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I've got those bits. I forgot that. All right, it's a nice picture. You're not coming up so great. Um, and then, as you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's into Noah and Abraham and Abraham Isaac and then, Jacob and, uh, and Jacob and Jacob's 12 sons and then a nation that's growing and growing and, uh, and is groaning eventually and under Moses out they come and into they go and into the land and Joshua and then into the judges and they're up and they're down and they got good ones and they got bad ones and then a prophet and then David and then a king. Well, not a good choice to begin with and then David and then, and then there is a, a time, a time of prophetic groaning where the people of God are looking to, uh, to God, or the prophets certainly are. And, um, oh, there we go. 700 years or so before Jesus uh, returns, or comes, not returns, he hasn't been here yet. And, uh, and you find Isaiah speaking to the people of God, and Isaiah, loosely, uh, the first 39 chapters, hard chapters, rebellion uh, and lostness and guilt on the people. And then you've got the second part of the book and uh, 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 chapters 40 to 66, God's people redeemed and restored and blessed. And right in the middle of that bit, you've got Isaiah 53. And um, you find there the, the prophet seeing something. Like Mike said, you didn't see it all, but God got something of God's heart for a say. One is going to come to bring an end to this oppression. The people of God living in limitation and restriction. It didn't begin like that. It began in full freedom. That's what it was. But they've, 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 they've shrunk down and they've got Assyrians and people, they're, not, they're hungry. They're living in a way that they were never intended. They lived in the abundance of God. But the beginning is how it began. Full dependence. Living a Abundant life in God. 
are now living captivity and shrinking and oppression. And in it comes, and, and the prophet looking to the future, that there will come one who will redeem, who will make a difference here for you on your behalf. And Isaiah 53, that prophetic glimpse into the future of a saviour, one who will come. And then uh, Isaiah 54, a glorious uh, an eternal covenant is, is sort of described in, in chapter 54. God's speaking of what he is going to do and establish forever on the work of the man in 53. Established in the man. People say, I want to go back to Genesis. I want it to be like Genesis 1, Genesis 3. No, no we don't. Because it didn't last in Genesis 1, 2, 3. Because <laughs> Genesis 1, 2, 3 was dependent upon the obedience of a man. We're looking to, to, the, to, the, to the man, aren't we? Who, is, who can actually establish forever an eternal covenant that is not dependent upon Kevin's obedience to God. That is not dependent upon the choices you and I make. What we accommodate, what we live for, and what we prioritize at different times. It's a dependent only upon the work of Jesus Christ. And so in 54, we find this glorious eternal a promise and covenant that God makes. And, um, and then there is the great invitation of Isaiah 55. There's people living in oppression. They're not going to have food for their kids. Life is not working. And so the Savior and the promise, and so Isaiah says, so come. Come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you have no money. Come buy and eat Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what doesn't satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. And within that, on the back of the work of the Savior, in the light of the promise that he is going to establish in his death and in his resurrection. So Isaiah says, so come now. There's something of what is to come. I'm telling this you now. I'm telling you this now. That something of your joy might be completed. I want you to hear something for the future that it might get into you now. So come now. Come and buy. There's an invitation from God in verse 1. Come, not come anywhere. Come to me. He is both the inviter and the object of the invitation. I've got too many clicks. I'm clicking here to try and read my notes. I'm clicking there. <laughs> I'm a bit overwhelmed. Uh, and in, God, uh, in verse 2, God invites. He invites the thirsty and the poor. Come by with no money. Because that's the new deal, see. This is the new covenant. You come by, you don't bring anything. I'll take that, I'll take that. Yeah, 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 because somebody else has paid. That's why you don't. Come by with no money. And, and oh, but those of you whose lives are a source of joy, those of you who have cars and holidays, you know, and different things, listen, listen, you're, you're, you're nothing wrong in that. May God bless us in these things. I, you know, I, for myself, I, learning to enjoy the abundance of God's goodness is something we should grow in, not shrink in. We should grow in it. That's, that's how it was. All things provided by him, man fully dependent upon his God. So we should grow in our appreciation of God's 
wonder in the things that he gives to us. But, listen to me, if the appreciation is not in an understanding that this is from him, let me tell you, the source of joy in the family, in the spouse, in the children, in the car, in the holidays, in the job, in the praise, in the career, at some point, brothers and sisters, there is a separation from these things. There is a parting from them. It is inevitable. And it's something we will all face. So if your hope and joy is sourced only in these things, at some point your joy ends. Because you cannot take it with you. We go as we come. That's it. So the prophet says, so, so come you who are wealthy and unfulfilled by what fulfills, by what satisfies truly. That which you cannot be separated from, not by height, not death, not by angel, nor demon, not by anything created in this earth can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. This you take, this you keep. And then, oh, no, not that one, that one. And what does he offer? Well, he offers water, milk, and wine. Uh, here, it's not a shopping list. It's not a man's shopping list, that, and it? Three things. I'm going to Lidl's. Uh, water, milk, and wine. Oh, can you get me some butter? Uh, okay, so we're going to get water, milk, and butter. Three things. <laughs> so we get three things. I've got three. That's it. Uh, write it down, darling. No, no, I don't need to write it down. It's only three things. So I've got three. It's all up here. <laughs> it's not a shopping list. All right? And it's not literally what water speaks in the Bible. It speaks of ref- water. It's refreshing. It's revival. It's a sim- symbolic piece of language. We're supposed to see images of refreshing. We'll see different things. Some of you crazy people will see just massive waterfalls that you dive down and all the rest of it. Others of us a little older. I've got my feet in a little stream there. Slowly refreshed. <laughs> Probably a glass of wine next to me as well. Milk speaks of nourishment, that which, uh, that which helps you grow. Come by and eat water, milk and wine. Take that which is going to nourish and satisfy you truly. And wine. Our God is so into celebration. I've lived with the idea that he probably isn't. I've lived with the idea that sort of celebration is for the more sort of kind of shallow types. For those of us who are truly called. Those of us who... Uh, I, I just, I don't know how to celebrate. I've lived. My 50th birthday party was 50. I've been 50 years like this. It was the moment. It was a breakthrough moment. The last few years, honestly, I've had some reconstruction on the inside. It's like God has, has opened up and, and helped me to see why, <laughs> why I'm so isolated most of the time. Most of it, some of it is circumstances. It's where we live and it's our calling. Some of it is just plain old me and my expectations, you see. Our God is into great celebration. I'm supposed to be with friends and not feel intimidated by that. You know? And, and honestly, you know, as I sat with breakfast with Stefan Vina, there are times in the past where I'd be sort of twitching away, especially if I had to do a little talk. Not them, but it's just me. It's just like, yeah, it's great. And, yeah, just, and I'd be running through what I'm going to say. A bit nervous. Am I coming over? What's the thing? Can I get all insecure? Our God is a celebratory God. And, he, and he, he's called us to be a people confident in who we are, just like he was in the beginning, until they had to hide. And then it stopped being like that. Because they stopped abiding in it. But we're confident, open, naked joy before God. You know, don't see anything wrong in that. That's how it was. There was nothing hidden. 
bold, confident, celebratory relationship with God. He is into that. And get used to it, because I've, dis- I've discovered this on my little journey, that the redeemed bit of me is, is it's, it's, that's, Kevin, that's, heaven is that. I, I get the idea that it was like that in the beginning. I get the, the idea it's like that at the end. But this life now, well, it's more about pressing through, more about holding tough. And yet, that which is redeemed is not going to be pressing through and holding. It's, it's eternally only, only full, complete dependence, freedom from anxiety, which is the, in my thinking, is the uh, 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 anti, whatever that word is, I forget words now, anti something of joy. Thank you, antithesis, antithesis. Can't say it. Antithesis of joy. <laughs> because dependence leads to peace. And peace produces joy. So God celebrates. He knows how to do that very well. Um, and then there's a little summary in verse 12, kind of a summary of this life of come by, come eat with no cost. Uh, 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 and it is for you shall go out in joy and go forward in peace to a people in restriction, to a people living in, in, in a confined space, increasingly smaller. You shall go out in joy and go forward in peace, God says. And at the end of the book, I won't read all of that, but Revelation fully establishes a complete and eternal life dependent only upon God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, a universe that has been recreated under the saving power and return of Jesus Christ. And we will inhabit it. And what will we do? We will just enjoy it. And the redeemed part of me is made for that. (laughs) That is made for some other things too. But those other things are going to stop at some point. So if my only focus in life is how to keep going, I've missed something. Because actually I've been recreated to be established in a joyful way. And look at this. I can imagine those who are around Isaiah when they hear this in Revelation 22. The spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And I can imagine those who, who are around that Assyrian oppressive time and Isaiah prophet. Oh, well, I've heard that before. Yeah, come. Come by with, uh, yeah, I heard that. It's no trouble for me to repeat these things to you. Heard that last week. Same with Jesus. No trouble for me to say it again. So you come by with that price. Come, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Yeah, it's no trouble to me to say the same thing. Come, come, come. Without cost, without price. Just come and receive. Only. But let's receive the right things. So, uh, maybe flick through this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, beginning and end. I'm, I'm secure in these things. And I've lived with a, a pretty clear understanding that it was like that in the beginning. Dependence. Probably not so much about joy, but just, you know, closeness to God. And, and that that is my destiny. My big trouble has been, which has become Steph's big trouble on occasions, <laughs> is that I just, I've never expected that. To, to be my inheritance now. Not really. I, not, not, not truthfully. So, um, so, how do you get up each day? Well, Jesus gets up like this. Right? He goes out in joy and goes forward in peace. He's like, I've got no 
no sense that somehow the Christian life is just happy, happy. There's nothing shallow in this. It's a, it's a deep truth. Right? There's nothing shallow or superficial. Let's just do happy clappy. This is a man accustomed to suffering and sorrows. This is a man whose day was long and arduous. This is a man who had no place to lay his head. This is a man who didn't have stuff that, that helped to pick him up, you know. This is a man who knew how to live an arduous life. But he is a man who completes joy in John 15. He is the man who is found rejoicing in the Spirit in Luke 10. He is the joy giver. I say these things, that my joy will be theirs, he says in John 17. And he is the joy getter. I don't want to disappoint us. I know that Christ died for us. But also this man, this man who, who embraced all that the Father gave him, was living for joy. And that includes the joy of this beautiful consummation of bride and bridegroom. He, we are included in that, but I want you to know he was living for joy. That's what Hebrews says. He had a right perspective in suffering and difficult things. Joy. Joy. That's who he is. Now, I have not lived like that. This is me. That's me. Now, my cell door is open. Right? That is true, and it's nothing about my family. I'll be clear about it. But I get up in the morning, and I have changed. Go out in joy and go forward in peace. And I have become this man who goes out in determination, and I go forward with gritted teeth. And that is how I've lived. Now, some of that is about where we live in our calling. And I get that. It's, it's just that I can't now accept that a calling of God leads to a joyless life. Because Jesus says at the end of John 15, Vine, I, I'm telling you, just, I'm even speaking it to you, not even experiencing it, just my words about the abundant, dependent life you're supposed to have is supposed to give you great joy. But I've missed that. I've created language for this. I have described, and I have been, now don't anybody receive this badly, but I have been praised for this life and encouraged in this. Now, I I don't mean anything bad to anybody who's ever done that for me. It's cool. I'm not sure what else you would say. (laughs) Because, you know, I'm a pretty grumpy looking guy. Just, you know, what are you going to say? Just other than, well done, Kev, keep going. (laughs) But I've I've, I've created language for this. I'm digging it out. Digging it out. Yeah, I'm digging it out. I'm digging a flipping hole and I'm going down is where it's at. And I'm taking people with me. We're all digging it out. Come on, woman. We're digging it out. Children, we're digging it out. That's, I have created biblical idea. Now there's perseverance and endurance. All of it. All of it. All of it. All of it of the spirit. But all of it coming from the vine. Coming from the man. The joy of the Lord will be my strength. Oh, yeah, but I've never got it. I think, okay, you're joyful. And I'm here. I'm not very. I I don't even know how to connect with that, really. But I see the vine, and I understand that imagery. And I've got branches coming out, and then I've got, and I tell you this, that your joy might be complete. Because the joy is not separated... The joy of the Lord uh, will be Kevin's strength. It's because I'm in the vine and it flows through me and it seeps into my soul. It hasn't got to come from me. It's not about my personality or yours. I'm so, well, let me not say that now because I'm changing. But I, I'm such a sort of introverted guy, happy to sit in the shadows, you know, stops people asking me questions like, are you happy? Things like that. 
So hopefully I'm sort of showing coming out of that. But it's not about personality. It's just it's about position. It's about it's about who you live in. That's it. Yeah, it is. So I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. Hanging in like a blooming monkey. Just hanging on. Hang on. Come hang with me. Let's hang together. Let's hang ourselves. And it's and, <laughs> and banging it out. I stood in front of my little church where I, I preached some of this stuff to them. And this is true. We get to Friday night. I'm exhausted by Friday night. Uh, and I do most of the talks on the Sunday. So Saturday is like, do a talk. Sam says, what are we doing today, love? I said, oh, I'm just going to bang out a sermon. <laughs> I'll bang it out. And it's, my children say it now. I talk to Lulu. She says, I'm just going to bang out my homework. <laughs> we bang it out. We, we, we just, we, it's like we cross it off and then what? We just get it done. And, and it's all commendable and it's all enduring. But you know what? I'm so tired of that language. I'm 52. One. 51. <laughs> 51. I'm 51. I'm so tired of that language. I'm so tired of living in that way. And I've discovered a theological basis for my discomfort with these ideas. And I feel happy about that. <laughs> so, I won't read all of this. But this is the metaphor. You understand that a meta- the Bible's full of metaphor. We're not intended to relate to God through a list of facts. That's not. So you can read John 15, God is a uh, um, source of all things, Jesus is source of all things, God will take care of you, we can, we can have facts. Jesus uses the metaphor because he's, he's looking to engage you. We're supposed to have a picture that relates, and when you have a picture, is what all metaphors do, it's what writers do, it's what poets do. You get a picture and then your senses and your experiences and your memories and, and, the, and the Tuscan vineyard that you was in comes rushing to, to mind or the, or the patio in your 20th apartment block with a little thing growing on it comes to mind or whatever. But you have things come to mind. You are intended. God calls you to engage with it. It's not God to be related to through facts. Only. There is truth. There is a body of truth, but communicated to us. His truth is vast. His way is not mine. His thoughts not mine. And so, he, so there are pictures to help me access and, 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 and appreciate this God. That's what the metaphor is. I'm not going to read all of this, but from Isaiah 53, we've gone from a seed in dry ground to a vineyard, a vine and a garden with a gardener. There is growth. There is Jesus who fulfills the old, who brings in the new. Oh, and we have the disciples in this middle ground with the man who's fulfilling the old and bringing in the new and they're hearing these things. We have the planting of the seed in Isaiah, 50, uh, Isaiah 53 leading to the joy of 55 and all of Isaiah's promises established through the work of Jesus in John 15. Well, I'm not going to read all that. I'm just a bit aware of time. So out of John 15, uh, verses 1 to 10, I remain... Can you see that? Uh, the Father prunes and tends to me, and I bear the fruit of Jesus' life for me. All of this I've come to know and appreciate uh, and love. Let me just catch up here. Okay. Look, it's really good, helpful, if you have some, something about gardening. Um, I've become a bit of a gardener. I've got a hobby. I'm quite proud of that. And uh, we planted, uh, a year and a half ago, we planted 450 plants. It took a risk because we used to kill a spider plant in our house. So it was, a, I'm putting it in the ground thinking I'm wasting my money. This is a waste of my money. <laughs> but we did them all. And then we watered them. And then lo and behold, up it come. And these, these things began to grow. 
And uh, I've fallen in love with the garden. I'm, the only thing I worry about now is being here. I'm hoping that we've got some rain at home because I genuinely care because I put it in the ground, see? It matters to me. <laughs> and, it's, and it's grown this year. And, uh, but before, at the early spring, you had to, you had to cut everything back. It's shed loads of dead stuff. It looks like a, a, a Flanders or something. It just looks like a battlefield. Everything's brown and dead. So you just go around and just hack, hack off. But you do it for two reasons. You do it because I, I want to take away the dead stuff because it's not good for you now to have this dead stuff off, infection, different things can get into plants. Let's get rid of that. And it will not be good for you as the sun comes and the temperatures rise and the rain comes and the growth begins to come. Get rid of the dead. And you know what? I discovered something about pruning. I used to interpret pruning as a failure on my part, some area of fall. God says, oh, I can't have that. And yet my theology is so rich in the grace of God. I do get it. But, but, but I'm so connected to pressing through and enduring and not letting go and da, da, da. But when, when you feel the love of God come and, and the Holy Spirit says, no. It's like, oh, yeah, I've blown it. Actually, now that I'm into pruning... Man, it's a delight, actually. I genuinely care about what I put in the ground. I think that's how God tends to us. I genuinely care what I put in your soul. I genuinely care who I placed in your heart. I genuinely care about you and your life. I genuinely care for you. I care about your here and now. I care about your tomorrow. I genuinely care for you. And when it comes, it's, it, it's done with such precision. It's done with such precision and love of the Holy Spirit. It's not, you know, hack and burn and slash and all of that. It's the, it's, the, it's the sweet love of God. Kindness leading to repentance. And I know it requires obedience and these things, but all of that is, is as a result of his love. So he prunes a verse two. I'll go through it. He's uh, chosen you, prepared you for this. You have been planted well in the man. You have been planted in him. You are clean. You belong to him. Not in a kind of, you know, you you are in him. You have been grafted into the man, the perfect man, the righteous man. You are righteous. You have his righteousness. You share in that. You are sons, daughters. You have his inheritance. That's what we are. You are clean and prepared. You've been grafted and stay there. Verse 5, Jesus will make you very fruitful. Don't go anywhere. Abiding in Jesus is the only fruitful way. It's... I, and I've understood that, but I've failed to see that bearing fruit is supposed to be a joyful experience. <laughs> um, and, it, and Jesus elaborately takes the metaphor, he just extends it and helps the, 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 the 12 around him just to understand that this is about me and you. This is about relationship. Ask me anything you want. It is about relationship. Um, living life my way. You're loved as the Father's I'm like, I love that. Jesus prays that from in John 17. I pray they may know that you love them as you love me. I love that. That's what he wants them to hear because they're going to struggle in a few days. But then they're going to be empowered, actually, to re- truly experience the joy life that Jesus intends. So fruit bearing. It's out. When I sat in my church, everyone went, ooh, because we hadn't done it before. <laughs> ooh. <laughs> Remain in Jesus, bear much fruit. God is glorified. This I know, but this I didn't. That dependent, abundant life is supposed to flow back to me joy. I'm supposed to get up and go out in joy. How is it that so many begin a Christian life and are worn out by it? Pastors and and, and those who work in, in church, how is it that that happens? 
I think because there are too many people like me who fail to see, actually, I'm called to be filled with joy. I'm called. It's not an abstract thing. It's not Sunday. You know, we do that well there. Kev, you've got a day off. I love, I long for days off. I don't get many. And I get one, right? Occasionally. And Em says, what are you going to do? I said, well, you know, I'll make a nice coffee in the morning or sit on the patio. And uh, oh, so I'll get up and do that. And I'll, okay, what shall I do? I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm pacing around. Because my whole life has been engineered to endure, work, work, work. Which, I love these things. And these things bring forward the kingdom of God. It's just that I've missed this bit. Because it's, all of the work is supposed to flow back to me and be a source of joy. Because it's come by without cost, isn't it? It's endured. The enduring is the fruit of abiding in the vine, isn't it? Now, the endurance is my work. Of course, we don't believe that. I struggle with all his strength with me, Mike shared yesterday. I don't believe it, but I live it. So do others. And I'm reconstructing my brain. I start to ask questions. If it doesn't bring me joy, is it legitimate? Should I keep doing that? <laughs> what needs to change in order for me to experience joy in that? That's a question. Starting to begin to think like that. Starting to think that joy, a joyful life, is the natural condition of a Christian. Let's say that again. A joy-filled life, a happy life. Let's lose the religious word. A happy life is the natural condition of the Christian man, woman, young person and family. It is the natural state. Jesus is not speaking here about persecution and suffering. He's speaking about a life that has just lived in his source. We're bearing fruit. We're not doing much else. We legitimize joy. When they're suffering and persevering, well, well, yeah, I like that joy. Oh, it's so tough. It's tough and pointless. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh. But, we, you know, we're still smiling. <laughs> oh, it's great. See the joy there? We, we, I, those of us who are like this, we, we can legitimize joy in the context of hardship. Somehow that joy is okay, but to aim for it as a normal, abundant life, a happy life, is somehow a bit shallow. And I've rewired my thinking because I don't believe it any longer. So let's go through that. Let's miss that. Okay. Okay, so we're going to finish with this. Um, So what's happening when joy is absent? Maybe you're not in Jesus and your joy is incomplete. Your joy will always be incomplete. Because what you delight in now is temporal and you will one day be separated from it. And it is simply the truth. And you don't have to be a Christian or even religious to to accept that. It is just a physical state that we live in. We die. We do not take that which delights us with us. We don't. And we live with that. We live with that. It's produces fear, anxiety, worry. We live protected lives because we want to try and keep it for as long as we can. Keep itself healthy and safe for as long as we can. If you've never received Jesus, you will never have complete joy. That's not an arrogant statement. It's just a simple statement, really based on logic. (laughs) If it's not Jesus, it's going to be somewhere else because your joys are temporal. Um, Maybe... Maybe you just believe the wrong things. That's me. 
believe in the wrong things. This guy, don't go to coachmikemcdonald.com. He speaks this. He, he, he speaks these things. Maybe a half full or half empty. I've lived under that nonsense for years, decades. Emma's the half full one. Kevin's the half He's the reality guy. You know, he's a, he's a joyful man, but it's a deep joy. It's a hidden joy. It's like, you know. It's, it's hard to find, but it's there. It is there because, you know, Christ is in him and the Spirit is in him, la, la, la. And this idea, this notion, there is no half full or half empty. There is incomplete and there is completed. That is all there is. It's not, please, let, can we eject, reject this idea that personality plays a part here? It don't. There is the source of all life and joy in you. And it's simply about, I think it's about what we expect. And what we expect, expect, we usually get. I haven't expected it. <laughs> Thought it was a sort of, you know, less, less important aspect of my life. So don't visit Coach Mike McDonald. But, uh, lose him. <laughs> we don't want him. <laughs> maybe Joy's absent because maybe you've had more pain that's been present. Um, the dark times in our lives, uh, personally, um, the people that turn up with balloons and a trumpet, come on, Kev. I remember sitting in the front room. Uh, it's, there's no one here in this room at all. This is somebody who was, didn't know what to do with my grief and bustedness. And he just started sort of wrestling with me and, and just, come on, Kev. He literally was doing this. And I, honestly, it was all I could do not to punch him. Because what he was trying to do was just trying to kind of cheer me up a bit. And I was so low. See, see, Jesus completes the joy. See, there's no joy. All that, what there is, he's just hanging on by a thread. And so he's the man of joy, but he's the man of sorrow. So he comes knocking on your door. Sorry. Oh, sorry, Thomas. <laughs> it's banging a laptop. He comes knocking on your door, and it's the man of sorrows who visits you here. He's the man who understands suffering. He's the man who's, who understands what it is to be uh, brought up by a mum and then to say goodbye to his mum too early. To be raised by a father, not his own. To be an immigrant. Refugee. Understands what it is to live without much. Understands what it is to invest and then rejected. One of the amazing things to me is that Judas gets to, to live like everyone else. That's incredible to me. And Jesus knows. Pours his life out for him as he does for everyone else. Rejected. He's a man who understands. He is familiar with sufferings. He can sympathize with us. And that's why when Jesus comes close to me, it's not big pumping music. It's the presence of his spirit that has experienced the suffering of God. He became sin for me. You say, if, if you only knew what I'd done. I can't. If I, I can't joy, if only you knew what I'd done. There is a man who walked this earth who is the greatest sinner that has ever lived. And his name is Jesus, punished as the greatest sinner that ever lived. He took your shame. He experienced shame. You say, I'm so ashamed. Yes, and he knows. Because he took your shame. On the cross. He bore it in his body. On the cross. He understands shame. I can't. And you know what I've done. I'm a Christian as well. You don't know what I've done. He does. And so when he comes close to you. And he draws you up. 
and you'll lift it up. Don't stop at, okay, I've repented. I'm sorry. Keep going. Press through. Because his purpose, as you come back and remain in him, is abundant joy. That's what he says. He's a man of sorrows. That is the most comforting thing in Scripture, is that the man of sorrows gets hold of Kevin and raises him to be a man of joy. Because the joyful man don't touch me when I'm low. The man of sorrows does. But humanly, the guys who are like me just sort of sit with me in a big hole <laughs> and say, oh, Kevin, it'll be all right. I say, yeah, no, it'll be all right. In Jesus, we have everything. We have the one who takes me from here beautifully. My pastor, you know that Jesus says, um, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm the good shepherd. He's absent. He's gone now. He's not here. And so he pastors us by the Spirit. He pours out the Spirit. And the disciples experience the outpouring of the Spirit, now in a full position to be pastored by Jesus, drawn up when they need to be the beautiful examples of, uh, of the restoration of Peter. Just restored. I know it's before Jesus ascended, but but He pastors us by His Spirit. He pastors you, the man of sorrows, pastors your heart by His Spirit. The man of who completes your joy pastors you now by His Spirit. You have a pastor. His name is Jesus. Firstly, there's Steph and these guys, but it's Jesus who pastors you by His Spirit. So, Christian, are you really, really happy? I've never been pastored with that question. I've never been sat down and said, Kevin, are you really, really happy? I ask myself that now. And I ask others that now. Because I believe it is a pastoral window through which we should be able to look and help one another in our hearts for the man of sorrows to lift us to a place of completed joy even in the darkest and deepest suffering. We are not called to live and endure and pump it out and grind it out for Jesus. Reject it. I'm mostly inspired these days by the people who are able to enjoy the simple things of life and take great pleasure in the abundance of God and the presence of his spirit in their lives. These people I envy and I want to become like. If we stand together, I'd like to pray. Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Jesus, um, (laughs) I have no desire to sort of do some pumpy, joyful thing um, at all. Maybe... Maybe for some here this morning, if your joy is just not complete, and I just want to give you opportunity this morning. The Bible speaks of the joy of salvation. The joy of your salvation. It's joyful not only because the past is dealt with and the future is secured, though that is true. It is joyful because the joy giver (laughs) comes and lives in you. And you are now placed within him. Your new home is in Jesus, and therefore his joy is able to become yours. If you've never trusted in Jesus, if you've, you've, you've looked around and seen friends or wondered whether this is for you, 
like to give you opportunity this morning. So if you'd like, Lord, just wave a hand because I'd love to just pray over us this morning if you'd like to receive Jesus. If you'd like to receive him this morning for the very first time, I'd love to just pray and bless you with the goodness of God.